Hey friends, welcome to the all new version of Napcast, a podcast co-hosted and produced by Nick and Mike, two male early childhood educators of color. What is this all about? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever uttered the words, I just want to listen and learn more? Then hey, you've come to the right place. This podcast is all about taking risks, leaning into your imagination, and, well, being as curious as we are about how we can dismantle racism, sexism, and all the ism in our early learning environments. Oh, and this is also a place where we can kind of sort of just get weird with it. Together, we'll listen to insights and feedback from various educators of color working with our world's youngest citizen in direct and indirect ways. Oh, just the thought of that should send chills down your spine. So, are you ready? Did you turn your headphones up? All right now. Good. Let's get it. All right, Napcast, Napcast, Napcasters. This is, I don't even know what episode we are. We're over We're over 40, I think we're approaching 50, at least the time of this recording. Who knows, something might come up in between. Yeah, I was wondering, I actually have been wondering like where, where we're at with that. Do you ever go back and listen to the podcast? Uh, whenever people go, hey, you said this, and I go, did I? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I have once when I was camping alone and uh, and I had some downloaded and um, yeah and and I just decided to listen. It was in the very beginning, but uh, but not since then. I don't think I I just can't <laughs> listen to it. So, but all that to say, as I, I yeah, I don't know what what episodes we're on, but um, it feels like a lot. But you know when you think in the world of podcasting there's people that have like you know they do like three a day or something so exactly must be nice to have all that free time yeah <laughs> well my name is mike brown my pronouns are he him i'm the senior director of community engagement and cultivate learning at the university of washington um i do this separately from them they know i don't know why i whispered that but they know and i'm on the traditional lands of the Kamea tribe now known as San Diego, California. And today, Nick, I want to be, uh, well, I'll let you decide. Do you want to be Mary-Kate or do you want to be Ashley? <laughs> uh, I want to be Uncle Joey and you could be Uncle Jesse. Okay, I was like, I don't know anybody else. Are we the original Full House or are we the reboot Fuller House? Orig- original. All right, cool. I'm Uncle Jesse. You are... Uncle Joey, cut it out. <laughs> Hopefully people remember that. And I'm Nick Tronis, though, uh, other than Uncle Joey. And I am still a guest on the traditional lands of the Duwamish here in Seattle, Washington. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm still the director at Daybreak Star Preschool at Day, um, part of United Indians of All Tribes Foundation. So I know over the course of uh, your years, you've had 
uh, stints in multiple different classrooms working across birth to, you'd say five, six? Five. Five, five. And I remember um, a small stint that you had in the infant room. And so I kind of want to start off there with today's episode. How was that? It was awesome. You know, I mean, it's, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I've, you know, I've had, when I tell people that uh, being able to like be with infants, right. And they're like, they assume that there's a lot of, uh, that it's a lot easier because infants, you know, don't do anything and that they just kind of lay there. And I think from a, uh, from a particular point of view that, yeah, it could look like that, but if you're really in tuned and if you have a grasp, even the slightest grasp on child development, then you realize that there's a lot going on, right? And there's a lot of engagement that you could be doing with uh, infants. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the biggest things in the infant classroom, um, and I did, I did do a little bit of infant work uh, in college, and but it was very, like, minimal compared to that, uh, the stint that you're referring to. Um, but one of the biggest things that, like, I found myself doing was just being on the ground with them, right? Like they're having tummy time. I'm going to have tummy time. If they're sitting up, then I'll be sitting up with them and help them, you know, with all these, uh, with those sort of uh, the gross motor sort of uh, and building those uh, abdominal muscles. But yeah, it was a, it was great. And I think one of the things that I found very fascinating, once you get to know particular children, that they each have, you know, each of their, their cries are very distinct mm -hmm. and their, their cries being uh, forms of communication. Right. Um, and so you can distinguish from one individual, what their hungry cry is, what their like distress sort of cry or being upset, what their cry is when, when their caretaker leaves their primary caretaker. Um, I found that to be pretty fascinating. And so then, and it's just that like human to human relationship that develops because then you can like, oh, like I know what baby Mike needs in this situation because, you know, I, I, we've become so sort of in, in tune with one another. And that's something I've also have always found very fascinating about motherhood. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. And I know you spent most of what well, we all know, hopefully they listen to all. 50 episodes. Go back and take a look if you have it available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, blah, 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 blah. But the majority of your career has been spent in toddlerhood, working with toddlers. And, and so piggybacking off of your stint in, in the infant room, what do you hope from like your toddler lens, what do you hope infant teachers, educators, teach or support their children so that they can actually be set up for success when they enter your classroom as a toddler educator? That's, um, I, you know, I think if anything, sensory, sensory sort of experiences, um, you know, getting, giving, uh, giving infants the ability to touch things that are um, just sticky, rough, smooth like giving them a lot of sensory input uh because you know that. when we and then giving them those words 
and then giving them those words when they're yeah. mad so that they're also building their vocabulary. Yeah. And, and really, um, you know, just that whole sensory motor sort of uh, stage of development and, and really starting to build strong foundations for that. So that, and then also knowing, you know, that like a particular sensation on their hands, whether it be like sticky paints or like crusty Play-Doh or, or even like a little bit of glue that it can be washed away, right? That they're not just stuck with the, maybe an uncomfortable feeling, but that they can, that it will go away and everything's cool and you're back to like, you know, your normal feeling self. I would also say a lot of uh, giving infants a, uh, a lot of practice uh, crossing their midline. So they're like an your right arm going over to your left side and vice versa, your legs crossing. Um, that helps, you know, your brain uh, and really you know, like your that, that thick bundle of nerves that connects your uh, your hemispheres. It stimulates that. And it really, you know, research shows that it, it's just good for overall development, like in development of like vocabulary, um, abstract thinking, um, you know, all these like nuanced uh, cognitive developments that can be stimulated and grown just from crossing over your body, right? So sensory development, crossing the midline. Um, I think also, you know, giving infants a, a, a chance to um, trying to find the words for this um, because they do have, there's like, we, I think we can't really see it totally, but I think that there's like little buds of personality that are starting to like be expressed as an infant, but, you know, maybe not like shushing infants as much when they are expressing a, uh, a certain kind of cry or an, an expression, but talking to them, right? Like, yeah, I, I I hear that you're hungry. I know that you're hungry, and I'll feed you in a moment. And giving them a tone of voice, right, rather than just and um, and then kind of on the opposite of like you know not over coddling and allowing allowing um, moments to self soothe and uh, yeah, kind of just finding giving a balance to to infants in their. Uh, in the ways that they're expressing and how we're responding. Well, hey, you gave me more food for thought. Um, that's something I never really thought about in terms of moving their bodies um, across, moving across the midline, like you said. I was like, ooh, those, you know you're in school because you're using big words like that. Um, across the <laughs> midline to activate different things. Um, and I'm definitely with you on the shushing part, you know, they are uh, experiencing things for the first time. So it, it's okay to allow them to, to figure it out. Um, you know, it's not neglect if you allow them to cry it out or not for, I mean, not for an extended period of time, right? There's also research about nurture and, and trauma healing, things of that nature. But it's important that they do get accustomed and start to learn that, you know, all the different things that comes along with that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm also about, like, make sure you let you smile at them. 
and you allow them to follow things with their eyes and that you allow them to turn towards sound. And especially mm-hmm. like little things like uh, sign language is also something I'm like, yo, they, they understand that. They are forming communication and language when they are in the womb. So that's why they understand when they're hearing the birthing person's uh, voice and and how they're more just naturally attracted to that because that's the first thing that they're hearing when in utero. Yeah. You know, it's uh, interesting. Uh, Maybe my first trip to Disney World as an adult, and then even since then, you know, like with, with my fiance, soon to be wife, um, that they, we, I was noticing like people bringing like really young infants to Disney world and Disneyland ever since that we go there and they give, sometimes these families will give their, uh, infants like, you know, infant earmuffs and whatnot, or sometimes they'll let them, um, just kind of be sort of swaddled real close. But I was like, you know, that's kind of a good idea. I looked at it in positive sense of like, yeah, give this little there's a little brain, like all this input, right. Um, within reason. And, um, I, you know, I think for, for some people it'd be like, Whoa, why does this person have a little baby going on pirates of the Caribbean, you know, but it's, uh, I think like giving them that, that chance to, to hear sounds and be close to a safe person, um, is really beneficial to the brain. Uh, but yeah, it definitely took me by surprise the first time seeing a, a little swaddled baby at Disney World and land. <laughs> all, uh, have you seen it every other, what, all the other 20,000 times you've been there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, there's mind- always, there's always a handful of people with a baby. Yeah. It reminds me of just growing up when you said that, how my family took me everywhere. And so if they went to a party, at 8 p.m., I was there. I don't remember how I got home because, you know, I'm one. But, um, I, I, yeah, they took me everywhere. And so it was, I got to see a lot of culture. I got to see a lot of sounds and sensations. And I think that's why I'm just naturally attracted to uh, the art, right? Movement. Uh, I told you right before we jumped on, I started an aerial silks class. So I'm in the air like Circus de Olay. Uh, and so that is, I think, something that's just always been ingrained in me because I had those early experiences. And now I'm using that to ensure I'm having a, a continue to nurture my healthy mind, body, soul connection. Yeah, you know, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up and without getting too down or to to get too far away from what we're talking about today, but that culture starts with those sensory experiences, right? like culture, uh, ide- cultural identity um, starts with what we take in um, as, as little babies and, you know, it, and, and culture, cultural identity is a progression through time of like who, with who we are at the time and place that we're with people. Um, and so, you know, when we think about uh, like indig- uh, native babies in a cradle board and that they're tightly, you know, um, connected on the backs and fronts of their mothers that mostly the backs of their mothers that, you know, they're, they're around the same thing, right? Like they're experiencing culture 
through this um, observational lens, and then eventually they become a participant in it. And and culture becomes so ingrained to the development of like your personality. And and again, like that can that conversation can go a- anywhere and everywhere. But um, yeah, you you got me thinking about about that. And just I never really thought about it, like with the baby on the the caregiver's back. But it just also then just maybe because I'm older now, I'm thinking about this a little bit more about the next seven generations. But it just kind of symbolizes how we want our children to springboard, for lack of a better term, off of our backs to higher grounds. And so just looking and taking in that visual of why they're on their backs rather than why they're in their rather than being in the chest area. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. These last few months have brought upon a lot of changes in Nick's and Mike's lives. New cities, new jobs, new adventures, us going independent. Shout out to all the peeps who supported us along the way. And now we have a new email address. You can email us at napcast206 at gmail.com for all your NAPCAST questions, ideas, and thoughts. And while our new website isn't quite up and running yet, you can still find us where you listen to all your music and podcasts. Spotify, Apple Music, Google, and so much more. So what should we chat about next? You tell us. And as always, thank you for listening. So turning gears a little bit, I want to think back to when you were predominantly in the toddler classroom. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts about what was your hopes as a toddler educator that you wanted to teach your children so that they can then eventually be set up for success in a preschool environment. Uh, social uh, confidence, right? Um, and not even like competency, but being just socially confident that they are feeling courageous enough um, to be in a social setting with people uh, with age like people um, or people that are the similar age as them. And that they they know that they can do things socially, and even if they you know in uh, if it doesn't if the outcome of a social situation doesn't turn out the way that they hoped, that they can bounce back from that and try again. Um, and I feel like sometimes we overuse the word competency, um, you know, as to like really measure somebody's skills, but really we should just, I, I to me, especially in this age range, call it more of like uh, confidence that they, they at least have that, like that tenacity to keep trying. Right. And to, to feel assured. And part of that confidence is that they have a like secure attachment to an adult. Um, and I think that also comes from uh, infancy that you uh, are able to identify an adult who cares about you and that you know that they are going to support you 
and that you you form a secure attachment with them. Um, and so, you know, eventually, you know, the, the job of a toddler educator is to build that trust in the first like month or two with children. And, um, and, and so that way, as they move forward, they know they can like lean back on you to, to, to re regenerate their confidence in social situations, especially as they move into, uh, the preschool areas that they're like, oh, okay, this is that uh, person that I'm with for eight to 10 hours a day. This is the person that I can fall back on. I've developed a trust with them. They see me, they hear me, um, and they will be with me. And, uh, we, you know, we keep building that confidence that eventually, you know, I think eventually at a certain point in our development, it be, does become competency. Um, and, and maybe confidence and competency kind of grow together. Uh, but I, I, I would like to reframe it more in the lens of, uh, being socially confident. So that's like one of them. Um, you know, I, I also, I think that being able to feel this kind of goes into the confidence part, but, uh, having for, for young children to be able to know they can express their feelings in a, in a quote, quote, pro-social way. Um, and by that, I just mean like, they're not just like hitting people or whatever to get what they want, but more they're dissatisfied with something that, you know, yeah, get it out and they can yell, but then bring it back in and then um, express it. Uh, yeah, those are the, first, like, I guess the the big points that come to my mind. And I can't remember the article that I read, but I was thinking thinking back to just how when we learn fine motor skills, how that can change the brain, the architect of the brain. So I can't remember what it was, where I saw it, but I take, for example, sign language and having children actually sign their names and sign things, even if they're able to verbally express things, how that can support uh, a lot of their cognition and their precipial nerves and all the other things in which I'm going to need to open up a book again and brush up on. But y'all know what I mean. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting in the class that I'm in right now, we do a lot of sign language and, and like my sign language has. Um, I, my own sign language has gone up and it it feels. You know, I'm a very hands on person. And so and a pretty wordy person so pairing those together it i don't know it just feels like like it's uh been a it feels easy for me right like i'm like oh i should have been learning this before and one of my goals is to like have enough sign language to like walk around disneyland and world with the badge that says i sign so i could like you know because there's um the the heart of hearing community is out there too and so to be able to support them going around visiting the parks but in the class, you know, especially during nap time, at this point in the year, we've established like, you know, there's, hey, there's like 12 of you in the class. It's usually just me and another person. And it, you know, when you're all asking for the same thing at once, it gets, it's a lot. And I tell them, it's like, it's a lot for my brain. Um, and if you see it, uh, so most of the time, you know, they'll like sign more water or more milk. Um, or like, like we know, like more like ketchup or like more ranch. <laughs> and so all these different like 
food symbols and stuff. And, uh, and so you kind of just hear the tapping of fingers as more of the noise and slapping of hands. And I'll like, just look at them and be like, yeah, I see you, you know, and, um, and that's been helpful. And then, you know, they try to communicate, they make up their own sign language mm. and they'll like, I had a kid that was, and because over through, I've known this kid for a couple of years that they, uh, they were, they were signing essentially, um, like I need my blanket to sleep. And, but I totally knew what they were trying to get at because they're, people can't maybe see this, but they were, you know, they were taking their hands wide and they're crossing it over their body and then like like doing a sleep symbol. Yeah. And they, so they were saying like, and then they were kind of like motioning, like pulling up a blanket, cover me up. Mm. And then like, so, so I could sleep. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and, then, and I said out loud, you know, it's quiet. I'm like, oh, you need your blanket. <laughs> and I was like, oops, but, um, and what I've also noticed with the signing is, because we've talked about like signing also doesn't just happen with your hands most of the time, but it's with what's going on in your face. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I've noticed the kids using more facial expressions, whether they're verbally talking and when they're signing. Um, you know, you don't want to ask for ask for more of something with like an angry face, but you want to like gesture a, a, a face of like gratitude or a face of um, something, you know, something that will actually get you because uh, you're 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 saying it in a kind way. Right. So that's been interesting. And it just goes back to what you were talking about. And when we were focusing on infants around sensory. Because I think about how are we developing fine motor skills or gross motor skills just in general with toddlers and how I would want to set them up for success for preschools. I'm thinking about how do I manipulate a lot of the materials in my environment and bring in different different sensory and different items. So it doesn't necessarily have to always be a crayon. It doesn't always necessarily have to be a spoon that you're eating with. It could be a chopstick. It could be a lot of cultures they eat with their hands. Um, You know, I like to look at feathers. If I see feathers on the ground, I'll bring them in and use that with ink so that they have a different material in order to to draw with. If we're by a beach um, or even not, if you have a lot of dirt in the ground, find a stick and tell them, hey, could we write our names? Or could you write the letter A with a stick in the ground? And so you're manipulating a lot of those different... uh, materials so that you're working on various various neurons and muscles in your fingers and in your wrist so that they can get fine motor skills Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i really like that and it's reminding me of like what i've been during certain seasons you know uh up here in seattle like there it our plant relatives give us what we need at certain, uh, certain seasons and to, uh, you know, be able to you, uh, use their, their gifts. And so like the one that's coming to mind is a cottonwood tree and cottonwood, it has these little buds and, um, you can, and they fall to the ground and you can use these little, and they, they usually fall like in the winter, uh, early spring. And you can use them, and when you open them up, they're very sticky. And so I, 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 I only tried it once, but um, and I need to try to think about how to refine the practice. But getting 
the children to, you know, just take what we need for whatever thing that you want to do, break open the, the bud and, you know, let's try collaging with the stickiness of it, right? Like as glue essentially. And so that was pretty interesting. And uh, the kids are now asking like, what is it? What can we do with this plant? What can we do with this plant relative? How can we, um, you know, what is this one used for and whatnot? And um, yeah, that's been, that's been a lot of fun to see them like really thinking about their relationship with uh, all the plant relatives. And so as we move on to thinking about this, this cool position, which you're in now, I don't know if it's cool for you. It's cool for me because then I get to talk about it um, and I don't have to answer it or be in your shoes, but yes, you are a director. <laughs> yes, you are a director, but you're spending a lot of time in a preschool classroom right now. Um, thanks to, uh, what do you call it the other day? The great resignation. Yep. <laughs> the great resignation. And yeah. And just the, uh, not being it, like there's not, I'm not finding many teachers at times. Oh, how I would not love to be in your shoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so drawing upon your experience over these last, I guess, year now, of you holding this dual title and dual role. We know we've, you've worked with infants. We know you've worked with toddlers. But what have you learned from your years in the twos that you would now apply to your work working with five-year-olds? You know, the thing that, that I've been thinking about lately um, it's funny that you ask this because this has been kind of on my mind. Uh, there's consideration of the the development of the prefrontal cortex of the brain. You know, um, this part of the brain is like it is research has like shown that it's been uh, it's involved in like planning complex cognitive behavior, personality expression, decision making and monitoring, moderating your social behavior. And I think I mentioned this to you some time ago, and, I, and this is so fascinating to me, that that part of your brain, or at least for men, uh, don't it doesn't stop developing until you're like in your early 30s, right? So like when we consider that, we gotta consider like, wow, like it's very important for us to have our, uh, our social skills and regulate regulative sort of skills um, and capacities. Like it's important for us. We get, we're blessed with this amount of time to practice this. Right. And, um, and so, you know, when we think about that with, um, two, with twos and fives, so for two-year-olds, this is all beginning to like really take shape, especially for those, that are placed in social situations with peers, like, like in preschool or family care with cousins and, and friends. But for five-year-olds, you know, we've got to give them a bunch of grace because they're like only three years into that development. I'm only three years into being a director and I've like, you know, kind of got a grasp on what I'm doing. And, you know, it, and everything for a five-year-old, everything else about their development seems to be advancing at a much faster pace. Their gross and fine motor skills, their language, um, their abstract thinking to uh, to a degree, 
um, and, 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 and even some more of their uh, social emotional abilities. And so I, I feel like sometimes adults and I, I'm guilty of this and I have to like remind myself, but us adults will tend to raise the bar of expectation, expectation for them, um, assuming that they're able to do more social emotionally than they can. But again, if we think about where where they're at with that development in that part of the brain, we realize like they're barely just starting to really get a rein on it, you know. Um, and that's where I'm always like a proponent of instead of saying use your words, use your words, like give them give them the words to use, um, and like help identify what what we see happening. Um, and I did this with toddlers and I do it with the, with the five-year-olds, you know, I'd be like, oh, Mike, it sounds, it sounds and looks like you're mad that they took your magnetile. What you can say is, hey, I'm not done using that. Please give it back to me. You know, giving them sort of a script or, uh, giving them what they can do, right? Rather than this arbitrary, like, use your words, use your words. Cause if you're in a emotionally heightened situation where your prefrontal cortex is getting flooded with cortisol and, and uh, other stress sort of in, uh, chemicals, you're not going to know what your words are. I mean, even us as like grown men, right? Like, uh, and other people out there as grown adults, just think about a time recently when you're in a high, emotionally heightened space and, you know, that fight, uh, like this sort of fight or flight kicks in. You may not use the words that you want to, or you may uh, use them incorrectly or inappropriately, and we respond in this. Um, and I'm not saying this responding emotionally is is wrong, but we need to uh, finesse it a little bit, right? We should communicate through our emotions, and uh, but we want to make sure we're doing it in a way that is going to be receivable. And so that's what we can do with with five-year-olds is, is helping them finesse these raw feelings that's paired with their language. Um, and, and at, at that age, you know, and, uh, but with two-year-olds, it's a lot of just raw emotions. And then I think at that point, you just let them get it out. Like, yeah, great. You expressed what you needed. And, um, next time maybe we'll like not yell <laughs> or something. Yeah. And it's also a good, just good opportunity to talk on mental health. Like, hey, it's okay to feel mm -hmm. this way. Yeah. You know, I've read recently, you know, what I've, what's been shaping or changing my frame of thinking is uh, in Native Hawaiian culture, emotion and intellect, they go together, mm. right? Like, and I, and I think in this, in our Western colonized view of things, we try to separate them. We try to sever them, but really, um, having emotion and intellect go together it, it it helps us convey the the weight of our feelings and it really keeps an empathetic um sort of bridge between each person and and but again that doesn't mean respond it doesn't mean that responding emotionally is that you're like flying off the handle right or that you're flipping your lid but it's that you're expressing something that means something so significant and dear to you that the other person can understand that and 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 together you can find the uh the deep-seated meaning underneath of it and that is the intellect part and 
I'm probably butchering that concept at this moment, but um, I think it is important to, for people to consider how we can support children's emotional and intellectual development as one like cohesive approach. So we'll leave it right there. Ah, oh, you know what I should have said? I should have said, go back and check out one of our previous Napcasts around building children's emotional vocabulary. Well, I guess I just said mm-hmm. it. So, I mean, it's happening. <laughs> but I wanted to say that before you drop that mic. Oh, regrets. I guess I can. Nah, I'm not going to edit that. All right, whatever. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank you once again for a wonderful conversation. And check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, wherever you find your podcasts. And if you have any questions or you know any voices of color or male educators, we'd love to talk to them. You can email us at napcast, one word, napcast206 at gmail.com. Until next time. Happy napping.